I'm heading to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, like you are, I'm sure. I hope you have enjoyed our study in 1 Corinthians. This is our last day in 1 Corinthians. Uh, There are 16 chapters, but chapter 16 is really just a whole bunch of byes and goodbyes, and so we're kind of skipping 16 to get to Advent, Um, and I'll let you read 16 on your own, but we have been talking about how this book is a, helps us grow as a church in truth and love. And I hope that you've experienced that. I hope that you've understood some more things about the church and about how to live in the truth and how to live in love. And it's interesting, uh, Paul's going to save his best truth, his most important truth for chapter 15. And we'll get to that in just a minute. Um, I asked Carice if she would allow me to play her saxophone for you. Are you excited about this? Me too. So, get ready. Sorry, kind of messed that up. That didn't work. Maybe it's here. Now I broke it. Way to go. Actually, I have to blow right here, don't I? Now I won't because Carice might have COVID. (laughs) But here's the thing about a saxophone, right? You can only play it one way. There's only one way to play this instrument. I can't blow in here. I can't blow here. I have to blow in the correct end. Have you noticed that that's true with a lot of things in life. There's only one right way to do certain things. For instance, take a screw. It's righty-tighty, lefty-loosey every time, except for a couple exceptions where you have to go the back way, but most of the time, right? It's righty-tighty, lefty-loosey. Now, I wish that my car... Drove on Pepsi because it's cheaper, but it doesn't. It only runs on gas until we find something better, and then it'll hopefully run on banana peels like Back to the Future. A plane has to have wings. If it doesn't have wings, it doesn't fly. Two plus two is always four. Has anyone ever seen the sun rise in the north? It's said in the south. No. It always rises in the east, and it always sets in the west. It always has, and it always will. See, there are some things that only have one right way. And today, I want to talk to you, and Paul wants to talk to us about something very serious. He wants to talk to us about the fact that the only way is Jesus. There's only one right way that you and I can get to heaven, that can experience eternal life, and that is through Jesus Christ. My big takeaway this morning, your main point is only Jesus saves. Only Jesus saves. 
Now, Proverbs 16, 25, this great verse says this. There is a way that appears right, but in the end, it leads to death. Proverbs is true. There's lots of things that seem right at the time, but in the end, they're not correct. Paul's going to talk about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And I'd like us to read the first eight verses. I'm going to leave the rest of the chapter for you later. And I'd like us to talk about Paul's most important point, and that is that only Jesus saves. He says, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preach to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. That Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. That he was buried that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And he appeared to Cephas, which is Peter, and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as one abnormally born. Paul says something very, very important in verse 2. He says, By this gospel you are saved. Now the gospel is pretty simple. And God meant for it to be simple. Because he didn't want it to be so lofty that we couldn't understand it. So it's very, very simple. And it starts with Christmas and it ends with Easter. That Jesus came, he died on a cross for you and me, he was buried, but he came back to life to conquer death. This is the gospel and it is simple. Now look at it with me. The first part of the gospel is that Jesus died for our sin. Jesus died for our sin. Now, there's something interesting about all of us as mankind, as humans, and that is that we all know we've messed up. We all know at some point in our life, we've messed up. And you don't have to know God to experience that. You don't have to like God. You don't have to believe God's word. You know you have. There's something in you that tells you you do. We call it guilt, shame. There's something resident in us. Even if we don't believe in God or believe in the word or anything, we have these feelings inside of us that are like, oh, I probably shouldn't have done that. And those feelings are resident there because there is a right and there is a wrong and Jesus died for our wrong. The Bible calls that wrong sin. Those feelings of guilt and shame are a result of our sin. And each of us know that there's something inside of us that isn't right when we treat people poorly. In fact, one of the things that really tells us that is when someone 
in our culture does something really, really bad. And they say something like, I'm not sorry at all. We all go, oh, how could you be such a person? That's awful. How could you do such a horrible act and feel no remorse? Like right in that moment, what we're saying is what? God exists. (laughs) That we needed somebody to save us. Because we're all saying that it's not right for us to live in a way to do horrible things to one another and have no remorse, to have no shame, to have no guilt. What we're saying is there is right, there is wrong, and God knows what that is. Now, we all try to dismiss that, don't we, though? We all try to dismiss those feelings with all kinds of things. New habits, new philosophies from man, new lifestyles all to try to get rid of those moments, but we can't change the fact that Jesus died for our sin. Occasionally, the Coast Guard will get a call that a boat is sinking out in the middle of the ocean. And they'll run to their their helicopter and they'll take off and they'll head out to those coordinates and they'll find that boat that's sinking in the ocean And they'll see people that have probably jumped overboard and now they're drowning in the ocean. And the Coast Guard personnel, they know because of their training and because of their experience, they know what they have to do. They have to jump out of that helicopter. They have to jump out of that helicopter to save the people that need it, that need them because they're drowning. So what do they do? They jump. They jump out of that helicopter, they jump in the water, and they start saving people, and they pull people out that are drowning, and they lift them up to safety. This is just like what Jesus did. Jesus saw all of us drowning in our sin, drowning in our guilt and our shame, and he jumped. He jumped off his throne in heaven, and he came here. And we're going to celebrate that in about a month, aren't we? We're going to celebrate that he came. And he didn't just come in all authority and all power. He came as a little baby. God himself, in flesh, experienced everything we did, was born just like we were. He jumped off his throne and he became a baby boy. But he grew up to become a man with the sole intended purpose to die for our sin. To become the sacrifice that we needed. To atone for the things that we've done wrong. That are not right according to God's word. See, he was perfect and that's why he could die. And that's why we can't. His perfect sacrifice pays the price for our sin. So we see the first part of the gospel is that Jesus died for our sin. The second part of the gospel that saves us, by the way, Paul says, is that Jesus was buried. Jesus was buried. Now, you may look at this point and say, that seems kind of like an insignificant point. But it's not. It's extremely important. It's extremely important to understand that before something comes back to life, it must die. Right? Elsa just showed us that with the seed. It has to go in the ground and it has to die for it to come back to life. Now, the gospel is that Jesus was officially 
dead. That's why Paul says, one of the things you need to understand about the gospel, that you and I are receiving and believing and holding firm to, is that Jesus was buried. He was dead. This is a firm belief of ours as Christian people. Now, what we have to understand is something important. This death is not some sort of symbolism. It's not some sort of symbolism. It's not a metaphorical statement meant to help us understand kind of how our sin works and how God works. And so it's just kind of a metaphor to help us understand who Jesus is. No, that's not what it means. It means that Jesus was physically dead. It's not an allegorical statement that has some sort of deep spiritual meaning that we have to meditate on regularly every day and then we'll figure out the deep spiritual meaning and ignore the facts. No, it's not allegorical, it's not metaphorical, it's not symbolism. Jesus actually was on the planet and he actually died on a cross for my sin and he actually died. Jesus was buried means he was officially and by the way, you kind of sometimes wonder, why did Jesus die on a cross as a criminal? Why did the Roman guards have to uh, put him on a cross? Why couldn't it have been a nicer, easier death? Or why did he have to die at all? Let me tell you why. Because it's important for us to understand that Jesus was buried. Well, why at that time? Why in that way? Let me tell you why. Because when Jesus was on the cross and he died, he died and the authority of the Roman guards affirmed it. The empire of Rome declared it. And when you declared something in the empire of Rome, that's what it was. And so Jesus died on a cross for our sin and he was buried and he hung on the cross so that you and I would know absolutely 100% sure he was dead. So it wasn't an allegory or some sort of symbolic story or anything. That's why when the Roman guards came by to break his legs so that he would die quicker, he was already dead. Now he also did not get his legs broken to fulfill prophecy that said that a sacrifice must be perfect. It can't have any broken bones. But the point here is that Jesus was already dead. They didn't have to break his legs. And how did they confirm that he was dead? They took a spear and they shoved it in his lung. And what came out of his lung? Blood and water. Why? Because his lung was completely full of blood and water Symboli or not symbolizing, but declaring the fact that he had now completely suffocated to death on his own blood and his own water. And the spear stuck into that lung and then coming out is confirmation that he was dead. This is important. It's important for us to understand that Jesus physically died and was buried in a tomb. This point is absolutely essential because the last point of the gospel is that Jesus was raised to life. Jesus was raised to life. 
Now, the understanding that Jesus was raised to life is fundamental to our faith. We call this event the resurrection. And here's what Paul says. And he wanted us to know, and he wanted the believers in Corinth to know. He wanted to give them some confirmation of Jesus' resurrection. So he, t- he tells them lots of people saw Jesus alive after his death. The apostles, James, 500 people at one time. And he says, actually, hey, guess what? Some of those 500 are still alive today. Go ask them. They'll tell you, yeah, I saw Jesus alive. And then Paul. Now, Paul makes a good point, right? There's 500 people here that all saw Jesus alive. That's a pretty good witness pool. A lot of prosecutors would say, "Ah, man, if I could just find one witness... If I could just find one person to collaborate my story. And Paul's saying what? Well, I've got about 515 people here to collaborate my story. And, and a lot of them are still alive. So if you want to go talk to them, email them. <laughs> now, he couldn't at that time. And it'd be great if you could, right? But we do the same thing today, don't we? Like if something's crazy and we can't believe it, then we say, oh, did somebody else see that? Come on, that, that's ridiculous. There's no way the Niners beat the Seahawks. Did somebody else see that? Because I'm not believing that. There's no reason to believe it this year, that's for sure. But somebody else was watching. So they, you could call them and they would say, yep, I saw it. That's what Paul is saying. There's lots of people to collaborate this story. Now, Jesus was raised to life to conquer death for you and I. That's the point of the resurrection. The resurrection is the most important part of Jesus' life because the resurrection is what saves us. The cross pays for our sin. The resurrection actually saves us for eternal life. The resurrection is what takes us into eternity. Without the resurrection, Paul says what? We're hopeless. We're hopeless. In fact, we're foolish. Our faith is futile, he says later in the chapter, if we believe in the resurrection and it didn't really happen. We're kind of crazy people if we believe in the resurrection and it didn't happen. But with the resurrection, we have hope. We have hope for this life and we have hope for the next life. We have hope forever. See, I believe, and you probably do too, that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the most important event in human history. Amen. Now, we've, we've had lots of cool moments, haven't we? I mean, there's been lots of cool discoveries, lots of cool things that have happened on our planet, but I'm gonna tell you something. None of them, not a single one of them, will amount to a hill of beans on the day of your death. Not a single thing. Say, man, the refrigerator was awesome. But that's just to put your dead body in. It can't get you to heaven. You're going to hope and I'm going to hope. And we, we believe it is fact that the most important event in human history is the resurrection of Jesus Christ because when we die, Jesus can take us to heaven. Amen? Amen. Everything else, it's just fluff. 
It's just wrapping on a package. It's nice bows. And trust me, I love living today instead of 150 years ago, right? Amen? Can we all say amen to that? Can we all say amen to toasters? Right? Can we all say amen to four-wheel drive trucks? I mean, come on. It's great to live today, but none of the technology we have matters at all compared to the resurrection of Jesus Christ that is alive in you when you believe it. The resurrection is what sets Jesus apart from anyone else. The resurrection is what allows Christianity to be different than any other world religion. Because we don't follow a dead person. We follow someone who died for our sins, was officially buried, and was officially raised to life for our salvation. This is the gospel. Only Jesus saves. I want you to imagine yourself just driving around a small town. You live in a small town and one day you notice someone has opened a new small business in a strip mall. And you notice that on the outside of the strip mall, there's a sign that says, free tickets to heaven. You're like, huh, that's interesting. Walmart. Drive to Walmart, get your stuff at Walmart. You keep passing this thing and your eyes just keep heading that direction. Free tickets to heaven. And you start to think, well, I thought I had a free ticket. I thought I knew how to get to heaven. But you just keep thinking about it. And one day you just decide, I got to pull in there. So you pull in. And the guy in, in the store says, yeah, I got free tickets to heaven. All you have to do is believe that Jesus died for you, that he was buried, and that he came back to life. And you're like, sweet. I think I believe in that. I think I want to believe in that. So you say a little prayer and you believe in that and he hands you a free ticket. And you're like, when do I get to go? He said, great news, we're leaving Saturday. <laughs> and you're like, Saturday? Well, I was kind of busy Saturday. Well, it's up to you. You can come or go. I think I'll go. He says, all right, let me give you some directions. You're gonna head out of town a couple miles. You're gonna get out there. You're gonna notice a bunch of launch pads with a whole bunch of rockets on them. <laughs> bunch of them are labeled. Make sure you go to the one labeled Jesus. You're like, well, wait, ah, that doesn't matter. Just go to the one labeled Jesus. You'll figure it out when you get out there. So Saturday comes. You get up. You're kind of excited. You got your free ticket. Drive out to this large expanse out of town, spread out miles. And sure enough, you're like, okay, this is making sense. You're driving along, and there's a rocket on a launch pad and a whole bunch of people around it. Oh, that one's labeled Muhammad. Cool. Driving along, there's another rocket. Whole bunch of people around it. It's labeled Joseph Smith. <laughs> Ooh, look at that launch pad. Those people are having fun. Who are those people? I can't wait to get to that label. Their rocket's a little broke down, but that's, oh, the American dream. <laughs> Pass another one labeled Buddha and then you come to this, oh man, there's a large rocket there. It looks like it's pretty nice. 
and it's labeled Jesus. And you're like, sweet, pull in, find your parking spot, get in line, you've got your ticket. And there you notice the guy that gave you the ticket. He says, come on in. You get on the rocket, you find your seat, you strap in. Pretty soon, the engines fire up, it's shaking a little bit, it's roaring. Right about then, have you ever noticed like right at the end before you do something kind of crazy, you're like all of a sudden, whoop, now I got questions, <laughs> right? <laughs> so now you got some questions and you're like, wait, I got a question. Okay, shoot. The engines are roaring, so you're kind of yelling. Where's the rocket going again? Heaven. Remember we talked about this on Wednesday? Oh yeah, right, right. Anna. Who's driving? Uh, Jesus is driving. Right, right. Okay, yeah. He knows the way, right? Right? <laughs> yes, I told you he's been there and back and back again. He knows what he's doing, right? Okay, okay. We're getting ready to go. Any more questions? Yeah, maybe one more. What? The other rockets are going to meet us up there, right? Nope. Their pilots are dead. <laughs> See, inevitably, at some point, someone asks, don't all religions get me to heaven? And the answer is no. Because only Jesus saves. Only Jesus rose from the dead, and is living eternally right now, so can take you and I into eternity. That's why Jesus is completely different than any other religious figure, because he's not actually a religious figure at all. He's God. That's why all the other religious figures cannot save you. And that's why their words and their lives are nonsense. And that's why only Jesus can save. Now, this is the gospel that saves you. Here's what we know. There's Jesus' part, and there's my part. Now, Jesus' part, we just talked about, right? He died for my sin on a cross. He was buried, and he rose again. So at some point, some of us ask, what's my part? What do I have to do? Well, you don't have to do much because it's already been done for you. But Paul does tell us a little bit what we can do about my part, right? What's my part? Well, my part is to receive it, to believe it, and to hold firmly to it. Amen. Receive it, believe it, and hold firmly to it. Now, here's what Paul says in verse 3. Did you notice? For what I received, I passed on to you of first importance. So Paul received something, and he passed it on to the people in Corinth, and they received it. So here's my question for you. Have you received it? Have you received the gospel of Jesus Christ that saves you? I hope so. It's the most important thing in the world. But interestingly, this is how the gospel works. Someone told you, 
then you received it, and now you're supposed to hog it for yourself and never tell anyone else again. (laughs) That's not the gospel, is it? So let me ask you a question. And this may be the most serious question you ever get. Who are you telling? That's what Paul said, right? I received it, and then I told you. And here's, because we're pretty smart people, here's what we've discovered, right? Generation after generation after generation, for 2,000 years now, people have told one another. Someone told you. Who told you? Do you remember that person who told you about Jesus and you received him as a result of them telling you? If you remember that person in your, in your mind right now, on the count of three, I want all of us to shout it out. Ready? One, two, three. Mom. <laughs> Mom and Father Gerard were mine. Yeah. You probably have a story just like me. But here's my question for you now. Who are you telling? Because now it's our responsibility to tell somebody else and help them receive it. The next part is believe it. Now, what does it mean to believe in the, in the gospel? It means you have faith in it. It means you have faith in Jesus Christ. You understand it's not just a story, it's a fact. You'll put your hope in Jesus. You will trust in him. Believing is like, Skydiving. It's like a parachute when you're skydiving. Now, I heard somebody say, nah, because that person is actually probably the smart person in the room, which is why would you ever jump out of a perfectly running plane? But let's just use the illustration for a moment, right? Believing is like your parachute when you are skydiving. The plane's not going down. The plane is just fine. But if the plane was going down, you would obviously jump out with a chute or get pushed out with a chute, one of the two. But if you're skydiving, what? You're, you're trusting in that chute. You're believing in that chute. You've put all your hope in that chute. You are believing that it is a fact that somebody packed that chute properly so that it will deploy and save your life. That's Jesus Christ. You are believing that he died on the cross for you and that paid for your sin, that he was dead, that he came back to life. And because he is still alive today, when you die, you can go into eternity with him because he's not dead, he's alive. That is the gospel. And the last part of it is you have to hold firmly to it. You must hold firmly to the gospel. Hold firmly, Paul says, to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. Now, here's what's interesting. Paul declares here, you can actually believe things in vain. You can actually believe the wrong thing. You can actually think your rocket is really cool, but it doesn't have a pilot. No matter what happens in our life, we have to believe in the gospel that Jesus died for our sin, that he was buried, and that he came back to life. Now, the Bible says that holding firmly to Jesus and the gospel is like running a race. It's like running a race. 
The race is long. It's a marathon, not a sprint. The race is long. Since it's long, it's hard. There's going to be lots of difficult things along the way as you're running. And there will be times where you will want to quit. And Paul says it's in those times where you want to quit that you have to hold firmly to it. I think every marathon runner would tell us that there's always a spot where they want to quit. In fact, most of them, they call it the wall. The wall is normally, they say, at about 18 miles. I think for me, the wall would be at about eight-tenths of a mile. (laughs) But for most, it's about 18 miles. Except for the new guy. I don't know if you saw, by the way, we have a new world record. Somebody beat it in under two hours recently. Yep. How many of you are old enough to remember somebody running under a four-minute mile? Right? I don't think that guy, I think he was from Kenya or Ethiopia, I don't think he knows what the wall is. He's just cruising. You have to hold firmly to it because along the way as you're running, you're going to get a cramp and you're going to feel thirsty. You're going to feel dry. You're going to feel like quitting and you have to hold firmly to the gospel. Now, 2020 is a great opportunity for us to hold firmly to Christ. Amen? Amen. Has it not been? We have had lots of things thrown at us as believers. And if you're listening and you're watching me and you don't believe in Jesus Christ yet, you've had even more thrown at you. It's been an even harder struggle. Because when you don't have Jesus and the struggles of life hit you, they're harder. They're more difficult. They're more challenging. Because you have no hope. You have no help. You don't have people to help you and you don't have Jesus' presence and the Holy Spirit to be with you, to share life with you, to walk through life with you. So I want to encourage you. The gospel is the most important thing in the world. Now, as you're running, you have to remember there's a prize. When you get to the end, there's a prize. At the end of this life, For those who believed in Jesus Christ, there is a prize, and that prize is eternal life instead of eternal death, what we call hell. That doesn't sound like a prize, and it won't be at all. The gospel is this. Jesus died for our sin. Jesus was buried. He was raised to life. And here's my encouragement. Receive it. Believe it. And hold firmly to it every single moment, every single minute, every single hour, every single day of your life. Because in the end, you will discover that was worth it. Every single moment. Would you pray with me? I want to talk to those Um, either in the room or watching us live or maybe you're watching in the next couple weeks or I need to ask you the most important question you'll ever get asked and that is, do you believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior?
Do you believe that he died for you? That he was buried? And that he came back to life for you? It is the most important question you will ever get asked in your lifetime. And the amazing thing about God is it's your choice how you answer it. That's why we're created in his image. But my hope is that you would say yes to Jesus. It's you would say yes to his sacrifice, yes to his resurrection, and that you would say yes to live with him the rest of your life. If you've never said yes to Jesus, I want to encourage you to do so. You can do it very simply by just praying to God. And just telling God that you believe that you're a sinner and you're just confessing that to him. God, I've made tons of mistakes. I'm sorry for those things. Would you please forgive me? And then tell God that you believe in Jesus. Just say it. I, I believe in Jesus. I believe he died and he rose again to set me free and to save me. If you pray a simple prayer like that, God hears you, he sees you, and he saves you. So if you've never believed or received Jesus in that way, I want to encourage you today, right in this moment, if you're watching, do it right in your front room right now. If you're here in this room, I want to encourage you. That's the most important decision you will ever make in your life. You can pray that prayer anytime you want. It's always available to you, the grace and love of Jesus. But maybe you're here in the room or even at home and you just want to acknowledge, you want to take it one step further and you say, I want to, I want to say that prayer. I want to believe those things. And I want to show God that that's how I feel. I'm just going to ask you to do something physical that lets God see that see your decision. He sees your heart and he sees in your mind so he knows but sometimes it's just good to have a physical moment. And so if you want to believe in Jesus for the first time I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand so God can see you. Just raise it high. Say Jesus this is my decision to believe in you. And if you're home just raise it right, right where you're sitting. Raise it high so Jesus can see you. Let's close in prayer. Jesus, we thank you so much. As we head into Christmas, we've got so much to be thankful for. So this next week, as we celebrate being thankful, I pray that we would be thankful for you most of all. That we would realize that the most important thing is you. Your death, your burial, your resurrection. Lord, I also pray for those of us in this room and those that are a part of Cheney Faith Center that we would think about who we're telling. Who are we telling the gospel to? With our lives, with our actions, with our words. And I pray that you would help us. Help us to be a people that tell the world about Jesus that we're passionate about it. 
and we want to tell those around us about the good news of Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, thanks for coming. Thanks for being here live. We're glad you joined us. Always remember, Jesus loves you very much. So do Kate and I. Have a great week. And happy Thanksgiving.